Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what is Mike Time? Mike Time is a set of short stories that have happened throughout my lifetime, experiences of mine throughout my lifetime, that have taught me lessons that I hope will be of value to you. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, deliver advice that sharpens your focus, as well as providing expert information regarding real estate, finance, and market conditions. Sam, thank you so much for joining us for the Mike Litton Experience. As we talked about, our passion is everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And I'm so incredibly excited to have you on as a friend, as a coach, as a mentor. I cannot thank you enough for everything you and your team have done for me uh, and for my team. Um, we're on our, like I shared with you, we're on our 10th episode. It's August of 2023, last day of August of 2023 that we're taping this. And, um, you know, we've got 10 episodes in, we've 95 listens. I mean, we're, we're off and going and I'm super excited. We have, we have eight five-star ratings on iTunes, um, where I got my first appointment last night from the, from the podcast. Um, yeah, so I, we're making huge progress. So being brand new and only 10 episodes in. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's, if with your permission, let's start at the beginning of you, of your life. Where were you born? I was born in a small town in Western. First of all, by the way, that's awesome. Everything yeah. that you were just talking about launching your show. Um, thanks for having me on your podcast, the Michael Litton experience. I know this baby's going to blow up. I mean, you're just getting started. I get to be on one of the first episodes. Love it. Thank you. And I mean that Mike, um, Appreciate you being here, but I'm so honored. Where was I born? I was born in a small town in Western PA, Bradford, PA. Mm -hmm. uh, if you ever heard of uh, St. Bonaventure University, it's in yep. Olean, New York, which we're probably 15 minutes from there. So it's about yeah. 80 minutes south of Buffalo, New York, maybe an hour and a half east of Erie. So in that northwestern quadrant of uh, Western PA. So yeah, I was born the youngest of eight kids. My mom, uh, Catherine Crowley, raised all eight of us by herself. And uh, my dad walked out when I was about three months old. So she, she worked in a factory uh, as a nurse. Mm -hmm. And then as she got older, I mean, she had, I was the youngest of age. She had me at 41. So in her 50s, she started working at a nursing pavilion, but she was a registered nurse. To my knowledge, never made more than, I mean, this was killing it. Uh, she had never made more than 17 grand in a single year yeah. and uh, somehow raised eight of us by herself. <laughs> all, all those kids, right? So I'm just, um, full disclosure, I'm finishing up your book every day of Saturday. Yeah. And you have moved me to tears several times. And, oh, wow. and one of them was when you were talking about your mom. Yeah. Uh, I'm very close, close with my mom. And it it's really been an emotional experience to listen to your life. So go you ahead. know, it's wild. And you're right. I still have this check here. I don't know if you can yeah. see that, that my mom wrote me in 1997 on June 29th, when I turned 29 years old, she used to give me a dollar for every year I was born and I carry it with me all the time. And then she died a week after she wrote this check. So I never cashed it. Yeah. And I just I hang on to it all the time just to remind me how short life is. And, uh, you know, to never, 
take for granted. I know it's cliche, but really to not take for granted just a single day. Cause I didn't know she wasn't going to live past that week of, you know, write me the check. She wasn't in bad health or anything really. You know, you got me in the fields, buddy. Yeah. You really yeah. did. Yeah. So Bradford PA, you grew up in Bradford. Yep. Right. You went to high school in Bradford. Went to high school there. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, I went to Bradford High, uh, Go Owls, the Bradford Owls, and um, we, um, yeah, a lot of our family went in-state, so uh, a few of us went to Penn State, one of my brothers joined the Air Force, my sister was a smart one, she went to Ivy League, University of Pennsylvania. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, she went on to Georgetown Law School and just had a dynamite corporate career as an attorney. So she was a smart one. And then um, I went to Penn State Barron campus, which is an Erie PA. Uh, I didn't even apply to college till March or April of my senior year. Like I I had no, I I mean, God love my mom. She did the best she could, but, but she wasn't, she wasn't there for that at that point in her life. I mean, I had nobody saying, Hey, you need to apply here, apply there. So all my buddies were getting accepted at different colleges, Penn state, Pitt, you know, some of them going out of state. I was like, geez, I better apply. I mean, I'm graduating in two months, you know? So I got into the branch campus. I went to Erie PA and um, I had a really good freshman year. I enjoyed, like, I probably enjoyed it too much. Um, but I, 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 it's funny. I was talking to my wife on the porch the other night. We have a 200 year old farmhouse here outside Cincinnati. We just sit on the porch every night and just talk, you know, How cool is that? and I was talking about this guy, Dr. John Gamble, who was my poli sci professor in mm-hmm. my freshman year. I thought he was the most interesting guy ever. Yeah. And because when you took one of his tests, Mike, it wasn't yes or no. It was best answer, second best, worst, and second worst. And you had to justify why you wrote those down. And it really got me thinking of kind of coloring outside the lines. Like if you could justify the worst answer, he would give you credit for it, you know, because you made a good argument for it. And I thought that I was love really, it. really I love cool. That. So I looked him up on, on the internet and he's still kicking, man. He's still a professor at Penn State Baron. I showed my wife, I go, this guy, he has no idea. Like he wouldn't remember me, obviously. It was a hundred years ago and I was yeah. one student, but I remember him. Yeah. And that's really the impact you can make on somebody's life if you're just a little bit different. So uh, my sophomore year, I had a tremendous amount of fun. And as a result, I was asked not to come back to the Pennsylvania State University. Um, I'd stopped going to class. I was probably the best coordinator of campus parties i would argue in the history of that campus maybe there's been somebody afterwards but uh i just dropped out of college after my fourth semester and um i moved to west palm beach florida with a buddy of mine because again everybody was going back for their junior year in the summer of 1988 and i'm like what am i gonna do and my buddy's like i'm going to west palm and this happened this conversation in a bar at two in the morning by the way which probably wasn't a good idea but yeah i'll go and so i went on place to get life advice right (laughs) Yeah. So I was 19, 20 years old, jumped in the car with my buddy a few weeks later, and we drove 23 hours straight down to West Palm. And, you know, that was me exiting the state of Pennsylvania for the first time. <laughs> That's so cool. That is so cool. I love the, I love the, we're, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I love the story of you talking to the, and I think it was the Air Force, right? You were talking the Army. to or, or, Army, right? Yeah. So you were talking to the guy from the Army, and he's like, So how much beer did you drink? And you're he trying asked me to how it. many, how many, right. Yeah. right? And you're like, I'm counting in kegs, man. <laughs> he asked me that question. So when I dropped out of college, the first thing I thought was join the army because yeah. that was the only other option I thought was available at the time. Like I, again, I just, I had no, I was like so out of my 
you know, element. I had no idea what I was doing, trying to plan my life at the age of 19 or 20. So I joined the army. And when I went in, I was going to military intelligence because that was one of the highest ranking units at the time without needing any kind of college degree. So, and I always love, like, even to this day, I love whodunits. And I know military intelligence is not just that, but I love Columbo. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love... I, I love all those detective and trying to figure out, you know, this. So I'm like military intelligence. I love that spy, you know, type stuff. So um, I went in to interview for that. And the guy's like, I got down here. You went to college, but you dropped out. Because let me ask you a question. How many beers did you think you drank in a year? I'm like, <laughs> and I and I started laughing because I thought, and he, he, this guy, first of all, this guy's about 6'10 in his <laughs> army gear. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm like this. And he goes, let me just say something, first of all. If you're not truthful with any of these answers, not only will you not be in military intelligence, but we have the right to place you anywhere in the army we want. That could be, you know, wherever we deem you to go. So be honest. I'm like, well, hell, I got to be honest now. I go, well, here's the deal, man. We bought five cases a week and there was 40 weeks in this in the year, maybe uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't drink them all, but take 20 percent. of it. I had 400 beers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And he's like. Like you just see the he's asking who is this clown then how did you even make it you know how do you even pass the asvab test how do you have a liver left right right <laughs> so he comes back he he I, he's like hey we called your answers down to quantico or wherever they called him in to do the military he goes wait we can't offer you uh, military intelligence but we do have cargo specialist food specialist i go like a cook and yeah. shipping containers i go i don't want that he goes well you got to pick something. I go, well, in the contract, it says, if I don't go in as this, I'm out. He goes, well, that's a tech. I said, I'm out. (laughs) I I look for, because first of all, I've learned this about myself. I do not take orders well at all. And I think the more you know about yourself, the more inner peace you'll have. I just know that about myself. That's why I haven't had a job in 20 years because I'm psychologically unemployable. I just Mm -hmm. know that, you know, and if I would have gone into the army, it would not have been great for the US of A to have this guy at the age of 19 representing our country. Okay. Mm-hmm. That I think we both dodged a bullet in right. that scenario. So that's the story about being in the army for one day and then not so your long and illustrious career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my kids, I told them that story a while, but and they're like, I don't, cause I've told them so many stories like that. I don't even know. Like they're straight laced. I have four daughters, straight laced girls. They go to college, you know, get their education, go into work for it. And they're looking at me like, my gosh, how did we, how are we offspring of you? You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, well. That's awesome, man. So after the army, where did you go? I went to West Palm and um, the the first night we got there, we stayed at the Days Inn and then we were looking at the classified ads. We found a uh, a duplex. We really didn't have any money. So it was really in the ghetto of West mm-hmm. Palm Beach, Florida, not a very nice neighborhood. And at the time it was really near the, right near the runway of Palm Beach International, like mm-hmm. planes would land almost on our, on our home. So we got there. I had no furniture. I had a garbage bag with clothes. That was it. So uh, this guy, uh, I saw a mattress in the dump. He was throwing it out for garbage night, grabbed that, slept on that for the first 90 days. And I looked through the classified ads and it said, become a stockbroker, make a hundred grand a year. And so I called up, said, Hey, I want to be a stockbroker. They're like, all right, well, you got to take the series seven. So I'm like, great. <laughs> and again, keep in mind, I got 20 college credits. Most of them are gym and health class. Okay. Right. So I've no business taking this series seven. <laughs> so I showed up at this, the company's name was JW Ganton son. So I showed up the office and this young buck, Joey Visconti. And at the same time, the movie wall street was mm-hmm. number one at the box office, Charlie mm-hmm. Sheen, Michael yeah. Douglas. 
I was, and I saw that movie and I was enamored by that, you mm -hmm. know? You want to so, be Gordon Gecko. I, yeah, I want to be Buck <laughs> Fox. I figured I'd work for Gordon Gecko. And I found a, you know, this guy, Joe, he's 24 year old version of Gordon Gecko, hair slicked back, drove a Porsche, lived in a $30,000 mansion on Palm Beach Boulevard. And he's like, well, you got to pay 500 bucks. I go, I don't have 500 bucks to take the test. I go, why don't you pay it for me? And then when I pass, you can take it out of my commissions. He's like, okay, let me get back to you. Like who the hell ever says that? Mm -hmm. So I called him every day for two weeks mm -hmm. and they wouldn't take my call. Wouldn't take my call. And finally he said, Sam, what do you want? I go, I want you to pay for my series seven uh, test. And when I pass, take it out of my commissions. Mm -hmm. He goes, why do you think you'll pass? I go, because I got nothing else to do. I'm working in the Palm Beach mall at a menswear store. Mm -hmm. And I got all the time in the world. So I would take the bus every morning. And when it reached the Palm Beach mall, I would hit the ding button at the top. They'd let me out. I'd go into the mall, work in the menswear store, which meant basically standing there because I wasn't allowed to do any. They wouldn't let me touch anything, ring anybody out, nothing like that. And in, and so he said, okay. So he gave me a whole booklet and a bunch of cassette tapes. And I would eat grilled cheese sandwiches and rice every day because uh, that's all I could afford. I bought a five pound bag of rice at Publix and I bought those slices of cheese with bread and I'd eat grilled cheese and white rice every day. I listened to the tapes and the books. Long story short, I passed the series seven exam. And, and you uh, were the most surprised of anybody, right? Oh, I thought I got like a 10% <laughs> because it was just ridiculous. First, I mean, you gotta keep in mind at the time, only 30% of people with an MBA, by the way, mm -hmm. educated people, 30% of them at the time, at least the stat I saw passed this exam. Yeah. I got 30 credits less than that, you know? Yeah. So Anyway, I passed. I became a stockbroker. I went in, worked for that office, paid Joe back his money out of my commissions. And then um, I started to miss the Northeast, though. I'd never been to Florida. I loved the ocean. I'd never seen the ocean in my life till I got till I was 20 years old when I moved there. So I loved all of that. There was a lot of partying going on. And, you know, I just I missed the change of seasons. Mm -hmm. So I miss fall. I miss mm -hmm. spring. I didn't miss winter, but you know, without the winter, you really can't appreciate the other season. So I transferred back to our Buffalo office and then eventually left there. Um, JW Gantt, they had an office in Buffalo, just, you know, conveniently. And Buffalo was like the next, we always got the Buffalo news station. So it was like the, we all knew Buffalo. It was 80 miles to the North. You want to go to a Bills game, a Sabres game, you know, go see Michael Jackson or Prince in concert or Huey Lewis in the news, you go to Buffalo. You or know? go to the mall or whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah if you want to go to the big city. You, know, you uh, you'd go to Buffalo. So uh, I ended up moving up there. Um, and one of my buddies, his sister lived there and she had a roommate uh, and they were looking for another one. I said, Hey, I'll, I'll help split the rent. It's 400, 400 a month, 133 each. She goes, let me talk to my, my, my friend. And her name was Laura. So it was me, Laura and Carla strictly platonic living. I was Jack, Jack Tripper in three's company. That's and, it. I was sleeping on the couch and didn't have a bed again. And I was like, I never had a bed, you know? And then I started bartending that summer of 1990. And then the roommate, her name is Laura. She goes, you know, you talk a lot. I go, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you got like this salesy vibe to you. I go, okay, where are we going with this? She goes, we're looking for in our company sales reps. And I think, you know, you just would crush it because I don't know if you believe anything you sell, but I always see like convincing people, you know, mm -hmm. and you're always talking. And then when we walk in a room, you're everybody's buddy, you know, mm -hmm. like everybody just seems to open up to you. I'm like, okay, well, let's get an interview. So in that towards the fall of 1990, I interviewed there that was selling yellow page advertising for the nine X yellow pages, New York, New England, yellow pages. 
back when they had yellow pages. Yeah. And I don't think people understand how powerful the yellow pages were back in our day. You they know? were powerful. Like if you need an electrician, a plumber, a lawyer, the only place you turn to. Where you went. Yeah. So I didn't even know you could sell. Like obviously the phone book's free, but the advertising in it is not. You got to pay big money to be in there. So I I interviewed. I got a job making ninety nine hundred dollars with the opportunity to hit target of twenty three thousand. And I thought, Mike, honestly, I thought I hit the lotto. I like, made it. Yeah. If I could bring in. My rent was 133 a month. My car payment was 200 a month. I mean, that was it. The rest was just beer and food. I mean, if I could bring in 1500 a month or something like that, oh my God. Like, I, I honestly thought I would just be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. So I was in that telephone sales job for a couple of years. As soon as, and here's a, another lesson I learned. Always raise your hand. Always raise your hand. Volunteer for everything. Doesn't matter if you're ready. You're never going to be ready, by the way. Just, mm -hmm. yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. So they say, they said, hey, we have an opening up in upstate New York for an outside sales rep, target 60,000. I'll do it. They're like, yeah, it's in Siberia though, dude. I mean, it's Plattsburgh, Ticonderoga, Watertown, you know, where a Fort Drum army base is up there. Mm -hmm. Like the winners, nobody knows the winners until you get up to that part. It's right next to Vermont on the one side where Plattsburgh is. I said, I don't care. So packed up, moved up there for the winter of 92 into the summer of 93. And then they brought me back to Buffalo. I had kind of served my time out in Siberia. And then I really started making good money. For me, good money. I was making 70, 75 grand, 80 grand. And I'm driving an infinity now. <laughs> I mean, I got the whole single life going. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe, because growing up in Bradford, you know, we we had food stamps for the longest time, you know, yeah. me and my mom. And I, whenever, I don't know how, how, depending on how many other kids were in the house at the time, like I thought that was just normal. You would just get a booklet, you'd bring it to the store, you'd take your little coupon, you pay, that was the money you used, you know? So for me to be making 60, 70, 80 grand, I bought my first home in 1994 for 88 grand. My mom said, oh my God, what are you doing? This mm -hmm. is, what are you doing spending $88,000? This was 1994. I'm like, mom, I mean- I'm doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. And so that was it, man. I, so I stayed in Buffalo and then um, I was in outside sales at the time. And then uh, I got audited by the IRS in the summer, uh, spring of 1996. And I was like, oh, this doesn't look like a good letter. Mm -hmm. So I go to my accountant's office and there was this beautiful blonde working as a receptionist and who is now my wife. Oh. And I said, hey, I'm Sam Crowley. She goes, okay, have a seat. Like I said, as soon as I Sam probably like the, you know, everything would stop and she'd be like, oh, wow. So what do you do? You know? Right. So anyway, I, I I go into my account. I go, who's the blonde out there? He goes, oh, that's Angela. She's got a boyfriend. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, focus on the audit, buddy. Focus <laughs> on the audit. You're getting audited by the IRS. So I left and I went back to my office and I called back and Angela answered the phone. I said, hey, it's Sam Crowley. She goes, oh, hold on a second. I'll put you through to be like, oh, yeah, hold on a second. Would you like to go to the movies with me this weekend? And I didn't know she had just broken up with her boyfriend. So she goes, oh. yeah, sure. So we went on our first date, uh, June 2nd, 1996. We saw the first Mission Impossible movie in Niagara Falls because we mm -hmm. lived right. It, was, it wasn't like we're on some romantic vacation. Niagara Falls was 10 miles from my house. Right. So we went there for dinner, went to a movie, got engaged 90 days later, and we've been married for 25 years. Wow. Yeah. And from the sounds of everything I'm hearing in the book, this woman's a saint. Oh, 100%. I mean, just amazing. Salt 100%. of the earth, man. You 100%. did well. Yeah, I know. I outkicked my coverage in a big <laughs> yeah, way. Exactly, right? It's a good thing you made that call, buddy. Good yeah. thing.
Yeah. That's Most why people, if they had heard that she had a boyfriend, they'd have just moved on, right? Yeah, that normally wasn't my makeup though. Like I wasn't no. that guy. I wasn't no. I wasn't a church uh, skirt chaser at the bar, you know. I'm just kind of kept to myself, but there was just something about her. I thought, you know, man, that she's something special there, you know. So that's why I made the call. I figured worst she can do is say no and I look like an idiot, but you know, she said, Yeah, let's go on a date. And, you know, she's uh the mother of our four children and been my wife for 25 years and absolute saint. Absolute. Awesome, yeah. man. That's awesome. Yeah. So you get married. Yep. Right. And what happens then? Well, prior to getting married, we we were living in Buffalo. We got we met each other in 96. And then in 97, I got relocated after my mom died. There was really no my mom died July 7th of 97. And then there was really no reason to kind of stick around the Northeast if there was an opportunity. So the company came and said, we're opening up an office in Cincinnati. We need some real good salesmen. Like we, this can be tough, dude. Like we're this is like from the ground up type stuff. It ain't sexy, but we'll pay you. And we'll relocate you to Cincinnati. I'm like, sounds fun, you know. And this I mean, is Yellow Pages still. Yep, still the okay. Yellow Pages. So we got the contract to sell the Cincinnati Bell Yellow Pages, which is about a hundred million dollar contract Ooh. of all the advertising in the area. So we're right now. You know, you could go thirty miles and be in Indiana. You can go ten miles and be in Kentucky. So it's the tri-state area: Kentucky, yeah. Indiana, Ohio. And so we relocated here in uh, pretty much October, November of '97, and. Uh, Again, just raised my hand, said, I'll do it. No idea what I was getting myself into, but I'll do it. And when we relocated here, uh, made all new friends because everybody else had to be relocated from around the country. Met my best, one of my best friends, Dave Hackinson, and his wife is the god godmother of our children. My him, His wife and my wife have always been best friends for the past 25, 26 years. Uh, we met them when we moved here. And then I was in outside sales for you know a couple more years. Now I'm making over a hundred grand. You know? And I'm thinking, man, this is... This is such rare air. I can't even describe to you what it's like to see at the end of the year on a W-2, six figures when you grew up with zero. Not you know a lot. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's sure. so wild. I remember bringing my W-2 to my account. I just stared at that. Mm-hmm. It was like 104,000 or something. I'm like, my gosh, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Then I realized how much I'm paying in taxes. That was another thing I saw. But I saved that one for another That day. woke you up, didn't it? Yeah, I was like, hey, hold on a second. I only yeah. this, this is terrible. Yeah. yeah. But so, and then I went into management. Uh, I'd done very well in sales and they were recruiting me to be a manager because we just never got good sales reps because nobody wanted to go into management. Sales is the best part-time job there is. Once you get good at it, work a few hours a day, crush it, bring in eight to 10 grand a month, go play golf, hang out, whatever, you know, going into management. Now you got to be in the office every day. You're working 60, 70 hours. You're not getting paid what you're worth. You're just getting paid what the position's worth. And, but I, I thought that, you know, maybe I can lead people. Let me get out of sales. And yeah, I did take a haircut, no doubt about it on the pay, but I kind of liked being, you know, in that leadership role to help mold younger sales reps. Cause I'd been in the game now for 10 years or so. And I felt like I had something to give back. And uh, I was always kind of a rah-rah guy. Like I didn't really care about the technique. I just cared about the attitude. It's the only thing I cared about because you can always teach somebody the how, but mm-hmm. if they have a bad attitude, it's just, it's a deal crusher, you know? All about mindset, yeah. And we'd have sales reps that had been with us for a long time that had a bad attitude. And you could just tell when the new ones came back from training, we sent them to training for three weeks and then brought them onto the force and they hang around the water cooler with the malcontents and the negative people. And then within a few months, you could see that seeping into the new reps where they just came in so bright eyed and eager to do anything. And now they're kind of talking a little bit negative. So I always, my, my, I think one of my strengths was being uh, like a situational leader, 
you know, managing, I always said we treat everybody fairly, but not equally. Okay. Right. Cause nobody's equal, but everybody gets treated fairly based on your strength and how much value that you bring, you mm -hmm. know? And I think people respected that. And then, you know, within three years I had four promotions and next thing you know, I'm running the entire hundred million dollar division in the company, mm -hmm. you know, from where I started making $9,900 a year in telephone sales. Now I've got the corner office, I'm running the show and here's the wild thing. I was less happy there than I was making $9,900 a year. Oh yeah. You know, by far. Yeah. Yeah. So. So when do you come home and Maddie sits up in bed? When yep. does that happen? Is that right it, about this time? Yeah. Right. Right around November, 2004. Um, it was a Monday and I was just, uh, Mondays are a grind in the corporate game, man. Cause everything piles up over the weekend, all the drama, all the emails, everything, all the fires don't get put out, you know, from Friday at five till Monday at eight. And so I used to sit around with a pit in my stomach Sunday afternoons. I'd watch a Bengals game or a Bills game. So I'm a big Bills fan being from the Buffalo area or watch our local Bengals here. And I just had a pit in my stomach thinking about what was waiting for me on Monday. Cause I couldn't even enjoy Sunday from after like three o'clock, you know? Yeah. And so that Monday, it was a cold November day here. And, you know, I told my wife I'd be home. She called, hey, I'm making chicken fajitas. What time will you be home? Because she needed to know. I just want to make sure dinner's ready. Like, just right. like I got, Madeline is three. Laura was just born. So she's three months old. And my wife's juggling two kids, trying to make sure her husband has a warm dinner. I go, I'll be home by six. She goes, okay, you say that a lot. I'll be home by six. So I hung up the phone and wouldn't, you know, sales reps come in the office, other people come in, fire put out here, fire there. It's seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. Finally get out of the office. I drive up I-71. It's cold. It's dark. I get home, ties down to like, you know, halfway down my chest. I walk in the door. My wife's like, the fajitas are like mud on the skillet. Sorry. I go, that's my fault. You know, I go, where's Madeline? She goes, I I put her up to bed. I go, well, uh, can I say goodnight to her? She goes, and Laura was such an infant. She just slept all the time anyway. So I walked up to Madeline's room and she sat up and uh, I said, Hey honey, how was preschool today? She says, good. And uh, she said, daddy is tomorrow Saturday. I said, no, <laughs> tomorrow's Tuesday. <laughs> I go, well, yes. She said, because it's the only day I get a chance to see you. And I said, Oh, Hmm. That I'll tell you what, Mike, I've had a lot of things said to me in my life. Most of which don't cut very deep that cut deep. And yeah, you got you got to remember, I come from father walking out when I was three months old, didn't meet the guy really. I'm, he was around maybe when I was four or five here and there. I don't remember it really. So to not be present in your child's life, but think you're doing everything right with the nice salary and the really great title, you know, and all the responsibility. I was failing miserably at being the one thing I promised that I would be when I got the opportunity. And that was to be a father, you know? Yeah. So I said, Madeline, someday soon, every day will be Saturday. So I, it just, I didn't even eat the fajitas. I went and laid in my bed with my suit on still and just stared at the ceiling. And I remember just looking up saying, what in the hell am I going to do? I'm miserable. I hate my job. I don't hate the people I work with, but I don't want to be around these types of people. Does right. that make sense? Like, oh, yeah, sure. I don't dislike them for who they are. I mm -hmm. dislike the environment. So um, I just, uh, I had pulled, I, prior to that, I'd start looking at trying to be an entrepreneur and there was a classified ad to buy a Quiznos locally, Quiznos sub franchise. So I, I love actually, Quiznos, by the way, it's one of my favorite sandwich shops. Yeah. Used to be mine too. Now I'll tell you why. <laughs> so 
I was in so much pain. I, I, I got to get out of the rat race. I got to get out. So I bought this Quiznos. And in January of 2005, I'm, I'm making my big plan here. I'm going to buy the Quiznos, buy about four or five of them and be this millionaire sub franchise owner. Well, um, in May of 2005, uh, I was on the phone with my VP, who I was reporting to at the time. And he was talking and he wanted to give me what's called the gift of feedback, which mm -hmm. in corporate means, you know, a lot of things. So yeah. I wasn't interested. And I said, you know what? I quit, man. He goes, what? I said, I quit. He goes, what do you mean you quit? You're running the largest division in the company. You can't, I go, I, I, I go, look, man, my daughter wants every day to be Saturday. I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. So he goes, okay. And here's another lesson. Everybody's replaceable, Mike. Yeah. As soon as you say those words, you just get the boxes out, out the door, you go bring in your replacement forget who you are, you know? Yeah. So the problem was the Quiznos was hemorrhaging money even before I went full-time into it. And I ended up filing uh, bankruptcy that year because I lost, you know, all my money trying to keep that afloat and pay health insurance and have three kids. Well, here's the other thing is that I quit May 6, 2005, which was about five, five months into this Quiznos. In August, it was becoming painfully obvious that I wasn't going to be able to make a living at this, at least not with this one. And I'm losing so much money. I could never get financing to buy another one. So I called my boss back 90 days after I just told him I'm going to make every day. Say, Hey, you guys looking for any sales reps? He goes, uh, yeah, we're always looking to hire good people. Why? I said, because I'm looking. He goes, what do you mean you're looking? What happened to this every day? I go, yeah, we'll talk about that later. I go, I need health insurance. My wife's eight months pregnant. I got no money and I miss sales. And I did, I missed it, you know? Because I, I used to love sales. I didn't love management, but I love sales. He goes, oh boy, oh boy, this is going to have to have some conversations at every level. We've never had a division manager quit and come back as a sales rep. Like that's that's embarrassing to the company that you wouldn't want to be the leader of the division. You'd rather sit right. in a cubicle, you know? History thing, yeah. So long story short, I came back. I had to get back up in front of everybody because I gave this rousing speech and people were sobbing. I'm sure others were happy, you know, that I was leaving, but nonetheless, I had to get come back in August of that same year, 90 days later and say, I'm back, you know, and just want to be like every one of you, but that's impossible. I used to be everybody's boss and now I'm sitting in a cubicle and the people that used to report to me, now I'm reporting to them. It was just awkward, right. for them, yeah. not me. So I met with a bankruptcy yeah. So I met with a bankruptcy attorney about a couple of weeks after I was back on the job. And I said, here's my situation. And he said, you're screwed. And I said, I know. And he said, all right, the bankruptcy laws are changing on October 11th of this year. It can be a hell of a lot more difficult to file. So don't go chapter seven. You don't need to pay, pay, pay whatever you can pay back, work out an agreement with um, your creditors and the government. You meet with a trustee, you pay a percentage back and your credit's only a disaster for seven years. I'm like, mm. okay. So I filed chapter 13 on October 11th. My daughter Paige was born October 5th, six days prior to that. And it was the most humbling, embarrassing, uh, didn't sleep, lost so much weight type of season of my life that I, I'm happy I went. And I know a lot of people say this. If I didn't go through that, you and I wouldn't be talking. Put yeah. it that, that's number one. Okay. Yeah. But I don't ever want to go through that feeling again. It was just meeting with the trustee and have her say, I would never, if I were you, I would not recommend ever buying another business, Mr. Crowley. You obviously don't know how to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then have creditors staring through you to try to get every cent they can from you and looking at every financial. I mean, you're just 
naked. Here's all my bank statements, all my bill, like just do a forensic CSI on me. And I mean, it was, it was nasty, man. I never want to be in that setting again, but you know, I got through it and you know, I started in the summer of that year. We're now in the summer of 2006. Mm -hmm. I had such a record month in the month of June. Now I had only been back with the company eight months mm -hmm. and I made 40 grand in one month, which is they had to change the compensation plan because of it. You know, mm -hmm. they're like, we can't pay you this much. This is not sustainable. I'm like, but I'm making you, I'm selling a lot. They go, yeah, but we have a compensation model and this isn't, you're, you're blowing through it. So I'm mm -hmm. like, Hmm. Okay. So I started to put the plan together to leave again because I didn't like that conversation. And I had a couple bucks in the bank now. I was feeling good. I was still just a few months removed from my bankruptcy. But as soon as my last meeting with the trustee happened, she goes, Mr. Crowley, let me give you some advice. Just stick in a job. Don't do anything. I'm like, okay, thanks. After that bankruptcy meeting, I went over to a coffee shop and met a web designer to design my new website. And prior to that, I had tried to get the domain name everydayisaturday.com. So I looked it up on the internet and there's this guy, John Mix, who owned it. And back then you could see the people that owned it. Now everything's pretty much private. But back then I typed in who is, and I typed in the who is search for everydayisaturday.com. It came up, John Mix, Oregon, here's his phone number. So I called him. I was on a sales floor one day and you know, I got his answering machine, answering machine and I said, hey, John, my name's Sam Crowley. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, my daughter wants every day to be Saturday. I'd love to get the domain. Let me know if there's something we can work out. And then went beep and it kind of cut me off, but I was able to give my phone number. So the next day my phone rings, I'm walking around the sales floor and it's this guy, John Mix. And I go, John Mix, oh my God. John, did you get my message about my daughter wanting every day to be Saturday? He goes, yeah, I got it, kid. I got it. He said, I wish I would have had that kind of courage to do it. He goes, I bought the domain name back in 2000. I was going to like post some photo albums of me fishing and spending time in retirement. But you, you got something, kid. Like you got something. So I'm going to give you that domain name. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. So I sent him $100 on PayPal because I didn't have a credit card. I got them all taken away. So I, I said, John, just let me give you a hundred bucks. He goes, that's fine. So he transferred the domain to me. And I met this guy at a coffee shop after my meeting with the bankruptcy trustee to build out everydayisaturday.com. That was my first website. And in July of 2006, it went live and I was podcasting now. I just had started this thing called podcasting a little bit prior to that. And I was creating these audios. This was before the iPhone ever came out or anything like that. And so I, I was podcasting, I had a website, everything was branded under every day is Saturday, I still had this job. And then in April in 2007, it just became the immovable object and the irresistible force. My boss is like, you got to spend more time in the office. Like, I ain't spending time in the office. You go, and I quit. And, that, and then I just definitely burned the bridge. Like it, yeah. it was burnt, you know, Go going back. And so I created, yep. I created a YouTube account. Shot my first video in April of 2007, kept podcasting and wasn't as scared as I was two years prior to that when, you know, you know what hit the fan pretty bad, but it was still no money. Like I didn't have anybody handing me money, but I just, there was something different about going for my own dream versus somebody else's with Quiznos. Like Quiznos, I was going to make them rich, pay them royalties, wear their visor, wear their logo. This was me. This was my brand and my message. And I was like, just crazy passionate about it. And then a year later, somebody heard my podcast and I got a phone call and they said, hey, Sam, uh, we were wondering if you were available to speak at our event. I know it's short notice. This was June of uh, this was towards the end of May into June of 2008 uh, to come to Hawaii. So I called him right back. 
And I said, hey, it's Sam Crowley. Oh my God, yeah, we just listened to your podcast. Now, Mike, this is amazing because nobody knew what podcasts were back in 2007, really, you know, 2008. And she said, the owners listened and they absolutely love your message. Would you, would you be able to speak in Hawaii the first week of July? And I said, absolutely. Like, I'll check my calendar, but I got nothing going between now and Christmas. I'm pretty positive of that. So let's do it. And she said, what's your speaking fee? And I said, what's your budget? And she said, well, it's $25,000, but we're, neg- we're, we're flexible. I said, hey, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. 25 grand. So they flew me to Hawaii and it was me and a, a gentleman from The Secret named Lee Brower. Mm-hmm. Back in 2007, The Secret was everything. It was yeah. the number one. So, I mean, everybody was talking about law of attraction, secret. Everybody was on Oprah. So it was that guy, Lee Brower, great guy, by the way, mm-hmm. and me. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing in Hawaii with this guy? I'm not, I, I don't even deserve to be here. And I remember I arrived in Hawaii. I'd never been to Hawaii in my life. Didn't know if I needed a passport to get there. I mean, I had no idea where the hell Hawaii was. And I get there. And the first day, I don't even have a presentation ready. I'm speaking in a couple of days. And it was $8,000 to go to this event. So there was a thousand people there. Mm-hmm. And they came to see two speakers, Lee Brower and myself. So I remember sitting by the pool the first day I got one, I got one of those umbrella drinks, got a baseball hat. I mean, I'm living this up on the Island and the people from the event, the attendees were starting to show up and they got their lanyards on and they're hanging out all around me, but they have no idea that I'm one of the speakers. And I heard this one lady, she's going through the brochure and she's looking at, she goes, Oh my God, Lee Broward. He's one of the speakers from the secret. And then she goes, she goes, Sam Crowley. Who the hell Sam? (laughs) And the lady goes, I don't know. I never heard of him. I'm like, my God. I, so I put my hat down and I just like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't belong. I mean, that just solidified. I do not belong here. Mm-hmm. So I got to my room, called my wife. I said, I think I'm going to throw up. I told her, she goes, you're fine. Just don't come home. My God, you got to get paid. You know, right. they paid you to be there. Mm-hmm. So I started working on my PowerPoint and I had to give a four hour presentation and Lee spoke first in day one. He crushed it, did great. Day two was me. And so I remember just being in the green room and he got all the hair and makeup going on. I'm like, oh my God. I go, so I just said, God, just <laughs> be with me, man. Give me the power. Holy Spirit, show up for four mm-hmm. hours. And because I can't do this, man. This is not me. Yeah. Here's the thing. When they introduced me, came out on stage and I saw, you know, 1,000, 1,200 people going nuts. I said, you know what? This is why I'm here. Like, this is why I went through everything I've gone through the bankruptcy, the job travel, relocation, not seeing my kids. This is what it's about. And a calm just came over me, Mike. It was like, you got it, man. Now I believe I'm a Christian. So I believe in the Holy spirit. Like I, I, I believe I've got like, I'm bulletproof. Like that's people like you're so confident. Like, no, that's the Holy spirit. Like that's God working through me. It's not me. I, even my podcast, I tell people that's God using me as a vessel. I get the word from him and I, and I just share it with you. It's not for me to judge, just, you know, harvest the best and throw away the rest. And it takes so much pressure off of me and anybody else who really believes that. So I, I spoke for the first two hours. They took an intermission crowds going nuts. The owners of the company come backstage and I'm just having a drink of water. Like, dude, you're killing it. Where have you been? We never even heard of you. This is amazing. They love you. I'm like, oh, wow. Thanks. So I spoke for the next two hours. They had to escort me out through the kitchen by security just to get me out of the place, you know, because the place was going nuts. And I'm telling you, man. And from that event, I developed uh, marketing, some marketing chops. So Mm -hmm. I went to Hawaii. I probably had 40 bucks in my checking account, mm-hmm. right? 
had it had had a little in a savings account, but really living minute to minute, not even month to month. I made 25 grand keynote, sold $150,000 of coaching while I was there. So I sold $175,000 in a week. And that's when I realized the power of a message. Like mm -hmm. everybody's got a story to share. Everybody's got a lesson to teach. You can never say the wrong thing to the right audience. All right. True. That is just, when you got that audience, that's why I podcast every day. Cause that's my audience. That's my mm -hmm. tribe. They get it. I don't have to explain it to them. They understand what every day Saturday means. And that's when my whole career just took off and it was just a flipping rocket ship from there. That's awesome, man. What a great story. I That was one of my favorite stories from the book was you sitting on poolside yeah. and you're overhearing these people go, yeah. Sam Crowley guy, right? Wow. Just like just towering and you're like, I, I don't even know if this is like the imposter syndrome, right? I don't even know if I belong here, you know? That is so I still get uncomfortable now just thinking about it. Like, <laughs> And they were right. Like, who the hell is this guy? Like, yeah. I've never heard of him. You'd think if I paid eight grand to go to an event, I'd get something better than some clown from Cincinnati. Who's, and I can't even find him on the internet, you know? So, yeah. Killed it though. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> so, so you do the, so you do the deal. You're off and running. What happens next? Well, from there, I did my very first online product launch. I created a product called Six Days to Saturday. And at the time when we used to have CDs, you remember CDs, Mike, the audio, yeah. you put them in there, you know? Yeah. So I created a six CD course called Six Days to Saturday, taking people through the process of preparation to that day, Saturday, when, I mean, you look up at the clock and you don't even care. You don't even know what time it is because the day's just flying. So um, the whole premise of the course was to help people with the mindset of preparation, taking action, overcoming adversity, committing to your dream and all of that. And I named each CD Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday. And then um, I had a, some affiliates come on board. I learned the internet marketing game, had Bob Proctor and Joe Vitale and all these other, you know, pretty big name people, email, Les Brown, people like that emailing for me to promote it. And I did a million dollar launch in 2009 with that product, uh, grew an email list from zero to a hundred thousand overnight because of all of these people that were promoting. And then I became an internet marketer. I learned how to market, you know, and, uh, how to do an email list, how to, you know, there wasn't really social media. I mean, Facebook was around, but not like it is now, you know? Right. So it was mainly email marketing and podcasting for me at the time and doing webinars, you know, having people show up on webinars and also getting booked to speak. Um, I got a good story. This was one where I was asked to speak in Orlando and the guy said, there's going to be 500 people there. Now as a speaker, whenever anybody tells you how many people are going to be, there, you can immediately chop that number in half. Right, right, every, yeah. every promoter, they're not intentionally lying, but I think they're just overly hopeful of how many people are going to show up. Overly optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, exa exactly. Exactly. So there was about 50 people at this event. And I'm oh, like, gosh. Oh my gosh, I had to pay my own airfare and accommodations just to go to Orlando. And there's 50 people in the room, but I remember the Michael Jordan saying, say, hey, somebody's seeing it for the first time. So give it everything you got. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan. I'm using that as an example of bring your A game because yeah. somebody's seeing you for the first time. Don't phone it in just because there's only 50 people there. Yeah. Well, I did my presentation on podcasting and there was a, a girl named Marjean Holden there and she was booking speakers talent for T. Harv Eker. T. Harv Eker wrote a book called The Millionaire Mind, and New York Times bestseller. And Marjean comes up afterwards. She's like, where have you been? I've never heard of you. I go, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> she goes, would you come to Australia? I go, sure. When? She goes, next month. I go, okay. So I went to Australia, 
and spoke at an event there. I, I mean, I'd never been, I didn't, it was a two day trip. You lose a day. Like huh? I flew out Sunday, got there Tuesday, Monday didn't happen. Cause it just goes away when you're in the air, I guess, you mm-hmm. know? So I speak at an event in Australia. It's only Australia three days. Most people go there for like two weeks just for the huh. jet lag, you know, but if they lose a day. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. But I flew there, spoke in Sydney, Australia, did really well. And then came back. And while I was catching my uh, connection, I was in the Detroit airport. I literally just got off the plane and my phone rang. So it's a lady named Mary Glorfield who worked for Tony Robbins for 20 years, like ran executive, all, all of, she traveled every single event Tony did. She coordinated all of it. She said, Hey, Sam, my name's Mary Glorfield. I heard you, you know, did a really great job in Australia. Would you like to speak in Los Angeles uh, next month? I'm like, sure. I'm on the, I'm a literally a no sleep jet lag beyond belief. I don't even know what zip code I'm in. And so I just raised my head and said, yep, always raise my hand. Yes, 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 yes. So that event in LA, Mary had me on stage. There was 800 people there. I sold $150,000 in one hour. And, you know, you split that with a promoter 50-50, but you get to keep the emails of the people that buy. So I probably sold another hundred and some thousand from the people who bought in addition to that, had an upsell from their coaching. And I'm like, wow. And I remember when I was taking the flight back, I was going from LA to Atlanta was my first layover. And on the flight to Atlanta, I had all these, or I had 150 order forms at 997. I had to process online on my, my laptop open. And I'm just there, 997, enter, 997, enter, 997. And there's this guy sitting next to me. He goes, hey, uh, you mind me asking what you're doing there? I go, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just entering order forms for people who bought my product. He goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a speaker. He goes, I'm a speaker. He goes, uh, he goes is that a keynote? I go, no, not really. I don't do keynote speeches. I will, but mainly I like selling from stage. So he goes, oh, I never even heard of that concept. He goes, how many order for? I go, 150. He said, for a thousand each? I go, yeah. He goes, that's a pretty good hour of payday for a speaker. Yeah, it ain't bad. It ain't bad, man. It ain't bad. And he was enamored by it. And he messaged me when I got back. He wanted to just learn a little bit more. And I think he ended up taking a speaking business from, yeah, everybody's competing for keynotes, you know, as a speaker. And they'll it's a race to the bottom price wise. I'm just not interested in that. Like if I'm going to speak, I will always speak for a keynote. I have no problem doing it. I'd rather speak for free and be allowed to sell my program at the end. You know, I just think there's more value for everybody that way. There's no pressure on the, you know, anybody that puts the event together, they have to pay the speaker. I'll, I'm I'm pretty good at sales. If there's value to what I present, people will buy it, you know? So I made 150 grand at that one event, um, speaking for an hour, 90 minutes total. And I had a time of my life. And from there, Mary still books me to this day to speak. I'm speaking at an event in El Paso coming up. Mm-hmm. And, 23rd, you know, 23rd of September. Yeah, 23rd of September, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So she's been a longtime advocate of mine, one of the most amazing people I've ever met, one of the most well-connected. I mean, she used to book the Norman Schwarzkopf of the world and wow. uh, presidents. And, you know, I mean, she has just, she's the most, and of course, Tony, you know, she was yeah. always... She's got Tony in her cell phone and just an amazingly well-connected lady, but even a better person. Uh-huh. So this, this entrepreneurial journey has afforded me to meet so many amazing people and do things that I never, as a stuttering kid in Bradford, PA, trying to overcome that speech problem I had, never would have in a million years dreamed that I'd have a podcast that's been downloaded over 20 million times in 226 countries to be on stages all around the world in Australia, in London, Toronto, Vancouver, all the big cities in the U.S., just a kid from Bradford, PA, man. It doesn't make sense until you really connect the passion part to it. Then I think it makes sense, not just for me, but for anybody that they could yeah. do something like that, you know? Yeah. So I think I've shared with you, you and I have a lot in common. You have a Maddie. I have a Maddie. 
My Maddie's 23, yours is 22. Yep. Um, I had a stuttering problem as a kid. I'm 56, you're 55, right? I mean, it's we just yeah. have, you know, uh, Secret of My Success was one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Growing. The whole thing, right? Wall Street, the whole deal. So um, I immediately connected with you when we started working together and I got a chance to get to know you and reading, listening to your book, it's on, on, um, on audio audible, but listening to your book, I've, I've had an opportunity to connect with you even more. And um, you know, the, the story about Matthew, just, I was driving and it literally brought me to tears. I mean, it's, you know, being a dad and um, it just, um, you did a great job with that book. You really did. Thanks, man. You're, you're an amazing storyteller. Thank and, you. you know, I felt the pain and the shame that you had going through bankruptcy. I've never been through it, um, but it really got to me, man. I mean, it really, it really had an impact on me uh, more so than you even realize, I'm sure. And um, I can't thank you enough. So, so, so you, so this has been an amazing journey for you and I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited to be working with you. Um, I I found you through, I think it was a YouTube ad. Yep. Um, I had been looking up things about podcasting and that kind of thing. And you popped up and I reached out to you. And like I said, we immediately connected in a way that I don't normally, I connect with people, but I don't normally connect on this level. And um, I knew I was going to hire you and we figured out a way to make it work. And I, from the bottom of my heart, I can't thank you enough. I did not know what I was doing. I was completely a babe in the woods and I was just, I was just doing what you coach, which is just go do it. Just, just get in there. Right. So I had my equipment. I had, I had my Spotify account that I'd set up. And the first thing you said was to stop. Don't put anything on Spotify. You need to do your own and then put it out there everywhere. By the way, yesterday we got approved on Spotify. Very cool. Right. Um, we got online and got going from a Tech Tuesday call that was supposed to last 30 minutes. It lasted an hour and 32 minutes, okay? Perry and Corey stayed on with us and stayed on with us and stayed on with us. We were in websites, we were, we were, we had wrong passwords. I mean, we had everything on the planet that could happen. The SSL certificate never went through. Mm. We had to come back later and do that. But Corey gave us a quick patch so that we could get it done. I can't tell you how unbelievable your team is. Thank you. I mean, from, from the beginning of this all the way through, and I think you told me the, the other day in our coaching call, I've got like 35 days left with you or something like that in the program. Um, but I've learned so much, man. In this 25 days, it has been insane. And <laughs> I'm so unbelievably proud to be on this, in this with you and, and having you come alongside and, and help me um, has just been invaluable. And I'd like to encourage anybody that listens to this, if they're thinking about podcasting, and by the way, I interviewed a guy yesterday who wants to do a podcast and I'm sending him to you um, right. because I told him how amazing you are, right? And so I, I feel like people need to get together with you. So I know they can Google you. I get that. But if they want to, if they want a website where they can contact you, is it launchwithsam.com? I say launchmymovement.com. Launchmymovement. Okay. Dot yep. com. Okay. Yep. That's so, easy. Um, and by the way, you know, you're super easy to talk to and super easy to work with. You have a heart for this and you have a heart for the people you work with. And it really shows. 
It really does. And I can see why people want you to come speak. I can see why people gravitate to you because I do. And every time I listen to you, either either on your podcast or or we talk, or I'm pumped up, man. I get motivated. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm you know, I love the thing about abnormal means above normal, you know, all that yeah. I love that stuff. That's my kind of stuff. That's kind of right. So I was certified in sales and sales mastery by Tony Robbins 32 years ago. Oh, wow. And, um, one of his people that coordinated this whole thing, they were a monitor or whatever. <clears throat> they ended up leaving him a few months later and they went to work for a speaking bureau, a speaking company that had like Bill Clinton and Henry Kissinger and a bunch of these different people in their stable. And he called me one day and he said, hey, I'm sending you an airplane ticket. I need you in Indianapolis tomorrow. I'm like, dude, what's up? He goes, well, he goes, I'm sending you this ticket. I need you in Indianapolis tomorrow. That was one of those rare times that I didn't do what you do, which is raise my hand and say, I'll be there. I started asking him questions. And I asked him specifically, I said, so what is this? And he goes, well, he goes, I was going to tell you when you got here. But he said, I'm sitting with Zig Ziglar and Zig wants to hire you. Oh, wow. They come to Indianapolis for an interview. And I said, well, okay, but let me, how many time, how many days a year am I going to be on the road? He said, 300. And I said, Miles, I love you, buddy. I love you. I met the girl I want to marry. And I don't know how I'm going to court her being on the road 300 days a year. So I actually ended up turning it down. I don't know what my life would have been like if I had said yes, if I had done what you did and just raised my hand, you know? Um, but we've been married 29 and a half years. We're coming up on our 30th wedding anniversary. I'm glad I made the move I did. We have two gorgeous children that came out really, really well. They're 23 and 24. And, you know, life life has all kinds of twists and turns and all that. And I cannot tell you how much it means to me that life brought me to you. Yeah. It really does. It really, from the bottom of my heart, this has been an amazing experience. Yeah. Well, the feeling's mutual, you know, because the the two things you need to be successful, at least what I do, is a great attitude and a commitment. Everything else is figure outable. You know, anyone that gets wants to get started with a podcast or really anything, all of it's figure outable. That's what YouTube's for, Google, do your research, figure out how to do it. But it's never the how. It's always why you want to do it, you know, what kind of passion. So we only require two things: great attitude and a commitment. Because if we're gonna spend, invest our time in you, I know you're investing money, but that's because you're buying your time. You want it right. done quickly, fast, the right way. You don't want to spend six months trying to figure it out. So that's why people buy their time so they don't have to try to do it on their own and end up doing it the wrong way. But if you got and a great that's attitude- what you did. That's what you did for us. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah, great attitude and a really great commitment to seeing it through. Like you've got 10 episodes already. We're doing this interview right now. Um, I mean, off and running, you know, if you if you get past episode three as a podcaster, three episodes, you're in the elite group of podcasters. I mean, that's amazing. Sad, but amazing, you know? That's amazing, man. So podcasting is so huge. So many people all around the world are listening all the time from their treadmill, walking the dog, in the kitchen, hanging out. Like I'll be on my laptop listening to a podcast. It's so easy to consume. Why would you not want to create a message so other people can hear it? And it doesn't need to be fancy, you know? It's just... We talk about everybody's got a story to share and a lesson to teach. What are you passionate about? Start sharing that story and let let everybody else decide whether or not they want to listen. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I <laughs> I you know, I've been in radio and television in San Diego since 2011 and I gave my radio show up because I wanted to go watch the kids 
at their events and be involved in their high school because they're only in high school once and they were going into high school at that time. And I realized that I was running out of time with them. And so I gave it up. And from 2014, when I gave it up, I wanted to, I wanted a podcast and it took me nine years to get to you and nine years to get this thing going. And this yep. dream came true a couple of weeks ago, a nine year deal. And yep. it, you know, I should have done it way sooner. I wish I had, but I'm glad I did it when I did because it led me to you. So Love it. I can't thank you enough, buddy. My pleasure. It's been awesome working with you. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us today. Is there anything else you'd like to cover? No, no, I think we're good, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a long time since I told that story from start to finish. So thank you. And again, if anybody's interested, if you think that, hey, I kind of heard about this podcasting thing, or maybe you don't have any idea what it, that's fine. That's what we're for. So you can go to launchmymovement.com. Worst thing is you'll book a Zoom call. You and I will have a conversation. You'll walk away with some great ideas. You will. Yeah. You will. And you walk away with value, even in that initial conversation that's free. Yep. So right. I would highly encourage people launch with launch with launch with launch my sorry launchmymovement.com, right? right. Launchmymovement.com. Get together with Sam. He'll take great care of you. I appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Have an amazing rest of your day, and congrats for the podcast. That's awesome. You're off and running. Thanks, buddy. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. All right, we'll see you. Take care. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.